welcome to Health Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. have made it to the fifth episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. And knowing that it is the middle of the holiday season, I wanted to bring in a little tip, maybe a little theory. I'm not sure what I want to categorize this as, but I want you to think about how busy it is this time of year and how if you're working in food service, you may be taxing your body a little bit more than you would during a less busy time of the year. And when I worked with athletes at the University of Guelph, some other areas, I noticed that we look at the entire year that somebody is competing, and we find the high seasons and the low seasons, and we use that as times to train or other times to just maintain whatever level of fitness athletes would have. And why I bring this up is that usually during the holiday season, a lot of people get down that they're not as capable of getting everything done just because of how exhausted they're becoming from their job this time of year. So it may be worthwhile for you to think about it as just planning to maintain your energy levels, to maintain uh, your sanity during this crazy time of year. What do you need to do? to get the best performance out of yourself? Do you need to stretch more? Do you need to take more time to prepare your lunch for the day? Maybe you need to eat a good meal before you leave for work. Maybe you need to go get exercise if you exercise regularly, but it just needs to be a little bit lighter this time of year because of how hard you've been training when you're actually at your job, how much work you're doing at your job. So keep that in mind that maybe this time of year, you're just trying to maintain yourself as best you can. And when January rolls around, when February rolls around, when it's a little bit quieter, except for Valentine's Day, um, that's when you're going to be able to perform better and start working on those health and fitness and training goals. So right now, I know it's the toughest time of the year. You're doing amazing. Keep up the good work. And I'll see you in January when we can start killing all those fitness and health and all those sorts of goals again. Sound good? Now, my next guest, I can't tell you much about because he requested to be anonymous for this interview. I think I'm starting to feel more and more like a journalist these days with this podcast, but nonetheless, I will tell you, he works downtown in the financial district in Toronto for a very large company, but he did spend a little bit of time working in food service, and he contacted me because he wanted to tell his story, and it was a very 
exciting interview and hearing the perspective of somebody that came from the corporate world and then joined food service. I think it has a lot of value for all of us who want to listen in today. Now, before we get into the episode today, I do want to put a slight warning that the guest does use the term ableist discrimination at one point, and the guest and I talked about it. He didn't mean to say that. He apologizes for saying it, and uh, he promises he'll never use it again, and uh, I just want to give you a little heads up on that. Uh, not something, a term that I prefer to endorse. I don't think he wants to endorse either, um, but just a little heads up that uh, things like that sometimes come out in conversation conversation and I hope that makes it okay for listening still. I won't give you uh, too many more details. We'll just get straight into the conversation. So let's go listen in. But yeah, do you want to, since you're leading this conversation, do you want to get into your story and we'll see where it goes from there? So I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, You know, I started uh, way back when, you know, um, I've actually been a very hard worker my whole life. Like I've been, had a job since I was 15. I'm in my early 30s now. Um, You know, uh, I've always worked at at something, to say the least, except for maybe a short period where World of Warcraft got in the way of of some work activities. Those video games. I know, it's the worst. Anyway, um, so what ended up happening, just to give you like a quick update or like a quick timeline of my story, um, you know, as I, I didn't, I didn't make it out of high school. I tried 12th grade a couple times. I couldn't get through the point of like finishing it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. So, you know, I started working that minimum wage job. This was way back in the day. I was actually working uh, as like an insurance agent. I did different sales jobs. I did different things like that. At one point, um, you know, I was selling DIY divorce kits to Americans. That's that sounds interesting. Yeah, that was a fun job. You know, I did that for two weeks, and then they tried to shortchange me on my commission, so I got out of there. But you ever see that sign that's on the bus that says "Quick Divorce, Call Now"? Yeah. For for two weeks, you'd reach me if you called that number. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that sounds. Oh, okay, that's yeah. a good story. <laughs> yeah. So that that was that was kind of where I was. Where I would do whatever sales job I could. I would do whatever customer service jail job I could. And honestly, like uh, when back in the day, I would think about it and I'd earn minimum wage, whatever. And I was like, it's four hundred dollars a week. That's uh, you know, it's a lot of money. That feels great, you know. Um, and uh, it's funny to think about that in the context of today. But anyway, that's kind of how my career got started. I worked in a bunch of different uh, tech firms and a couple different groups, like just doing customer service, just doing sales. Um, I ended up actually spending about a year and a bit at one of uh, Ontario's liquor distribution groups, doing the retail side of things. So I would say that was probably my first point where I was doing the kind of work that your podcast focuses on today, a little bit more retail focus than, you know, service or, or worker. Anyway, um, I ended up working in a call center for a tech company, uh, again, doing very basic kind of troubleshooting for people who can't log into their computer, that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, we all got laid off in 2008 when that nonsense happened, and then that's when I went back to school. So after school, I got hired by the bank in their contact center in the call center to say, hey, you know, you seem good at what you do. Uh, you have sales background, you have customer service background, come work for us. And I worked a lot. I was always volunteering for overtime. There's a lot of sales, a lot of things. It was a great environment for me because of the past. And then I was also getting paid way more than minimum wage at that point. Way more, quote unquote. But, you know, it was more yeah. than minimum wage. So anyways, a lot of overtime. It was a lot of work. I saw the career progression. Things were great. Uh, things have been great. Um, and then I started a role downtown uh, in an analyst role. So in that kind of job, you know, everything slows down. 
right? It's like, okay, here's what your next 12 months look like. Here's what, you know, your next year looks like, whatever. And like, you, uh, I didn't have to work any overtime. I didn't have any overtime over opportunities and, and work as a whole was um, a little bit boring. And I kind of missed that customer service, that experience, all that stuff. So where I went from there was uh, there was a restaurant opening up around the corner from me. They had this big sign saying coming September or whatever, you know. And I don't know what it was about the brand. I don't know what it was about the, the sign. It just looked really cool. I'm like, this place looks like something I wouldn't mind trying or something I wouldn't mind doing. Um, and uh, they put in, a, they had a request for your resume. I put in my request for the, through the application and um, immediately you know, the guy was like, oh, okay, this guy lives a 30 second walk from where, where I'm opening my store. And, you know, he has a full-time job already, so his, lim- his schedule is limited, but he's, he seems interested in, in, in the work. And actually, you know, I would, I would describe it, it's not, um, it's kind of like a, the, 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 the restaurant was sort of like a, a freshy type place. Okay. Um, it wasn't freshy, but it was a freshy sort of place. So you've got the bowls, you've got the wraps, you've got that sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of higher end, the price point, you could walk out of there easily spending 20 bucks on dinner you know that's sort of okay thing, between 10 to 20 dollars depending on what you wanted what you ordered it was a little bit more higher end so but um you know they went above and beyond to to try and uh provide like a more customized better experience so um you know so i think that there was a lot about the brand that drew me to it uh while i was working full-time as an analyst i was also in my day job um, I spent about six months working in the restaurant. And so I helped them open, I helped them set up, I helped them do their tables, all that sort of stuff, like design the restaurant. Not design it, sorry, but like set up the designs that they had planned. Oh, wow. Um, so literally there from day zero. Yeah. Day one, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I didn't help with the menu or any of that stuff because that's not what I do. But, you know, I was, I, was, I was there from the inception. So, yeah. um, you know, it was good to be able to onboard it and help it go through that process, see it, and, and uh, experience that. So Yeah, that's interesting. I've actually been part of the opening team for two restaurants, mm-hmm. um, both based in Guelph, both hugely different types of organizations, one a very corporate chain that everyone knows, okay. and one that's a standalone restaurant. Right. Um, and I got brought on with that first initial team of people. Um, and that's always interesting. Yeah. You get to see how things work in the background and how Things go to plan, but maybe not always right. go to plan as well. So this place, they were they weren't super independent. And they weren't a chain yet. They they did have other stores with the same name with the same model. Um, so it, it's not like we were coming in and the and the store manager, sorry, the restaurant manager wasn't completely on his own. Yeah. Um, the guy they had hired uh, had been a manager of a Starbucks, okay. so he he knew the restaurant business pretty well. Um, and, uh, you know, from my perspective, I was like, okay, here's an opportunity. I don't have any overtime opportunities anymore in my day job, which I miss. Um, and not that I needed the money. It's like, to be honest with you, <laughs> the restaurant money paid for maybe my taxes on my day job. Like, yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't really about that. It was more a matter of, like, if my hands are idle for too long, I'm going to get myself in trouble. And I need yeah. to, I just need to be preoccupied if... You know, have you ever seen that comic where your brain is like, you should relax more? It's like, oh, you, you, what are you doing relaxing? You should be working. It's like, I'm, and then you're always fighting with yourself, and that's 100% yeah. me. Oh, so, me too. I can't sit still yeah, for too long. Exactly. Um, but uh, I, I recently started a new job that is much more active, it's much more chaotic. So I, I did have to kind of 
back off the restaurant side of things. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting while it was while it was going on. Yeah. So you have a little bit of a different start in the industry compared to a lot of people. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who ended up getting a serving job, dishwashing, cooking, whatever it may be. Um, you know, when you're in your 18, 19, sometimes early teens, mm-hmm. I started when I was 16, 15, somewhere in there. Um, and you just grow with the industry and you stick th- with it. Whereas you kind of came in much later on, yeah. Um, sort of out of a just, it was convenient and also a very different um, atmosphere kind of calling you towards that. For sure, for sure. Like I'd done the customer service side, soft sales of like an upsell, do you want cheese with that, whatever, right? Like that stuff was a no-brainer for me. Uh, I'm really good at remembering people's names, so I would get the repeat customers and be like, hey, you know, Sandy, another, you want the smooth, same smoothies yesterday, that sort of thing. So some customers were really appreciative of that. And that's what I was there for, you know, I was there to have those customer interactions. In my day job, I could go a month without ever having to talk to anybody if I wanted to. Yeah. Right? So you can imagine what that feels like. You can imagine what that, that, that is like as a whole. Um, and the food itself is great. I mean, I would say probably 25, 30% of the reason why I kept the job was the staff discount. I was eating there pretty much every day. Always, It's so, always the food. Yeah, the, food, the food. food was fantastic. I really liked the store atmosphere. You know, I was I was... I gave full disclosure to the people in the restaurant. I didn't talk about it too much with my colleagues because I don't think they understood, um, like, why I was doing it. You know, I'm, I'm 10, 15 years older than everyone else there. You know, my supervisor is 10 years younger than me. But, you know, we had a good discussion about why I was there, what I was doing. And, again, I, I did have a genuine interest and passion in, in the brand, and I thought the store was kind of going the right direction. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it seemed like a cool spot to work, and I... And that's what, what led me to it in the first place. So Yeah. Interesting. How many customers were you having passed by in a shift? Like, just to kind yeah. of, just give me an idea of the volume or the busyness level. I would say about half of our volume was going out the door through Uber Eats. Um, oh, yeah. And then I would say probably the other half was in store. So they did a good job, I think, of building up the restaurant, making it a nice place to go and sit for a few hours. They had board games. They had, you know, free refills on coffee and stuff like that. So, you know. They did a good. The Wi-Fi was great. The Sonos was great. They had like, you know, they spent money and time and energy um, building it out. And like the person who owned the place uh, uh, had had built a, other uh, entertainment venues and things like that. So he he that was kind of his focus around that and him and his business partner. So, um, you know, there was there, it was a cool spot to be. It was fun. You know, you okay. did the prep live. You served fresh food. They were really stringent and quality. You know, they would tell you to throw away the avocado if it was starting to turn the wrong color and oh, stuff good. like that. So, you know, th- that was really the focus. And then where we lost a lot of people, I think, was on the price point. The price point was a little bit higher than what it should have been. Like, a lot of people can't justify, you know, $15 for a bowl or a salad. Or, you know, if you go to an IQ or a freshie like that, you end up dropping that kind of money, generally speaking. And that's where um, some customers weren't super keen on it, I think. That being said, to answer your question specifically, I think somewhere in the range of like 50 in store and 35 to 40 online maybe. Yeah, you know? okay. People buying at least a, a bowl or a smoothie or whatever, you know? Yeah. Somewhere in that range, I would say. Okay, yeah. so so busy place yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. So I would only work in the evenings on a weekend, so you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the rush during the day. I, I was never mm. there for that stuff. I have my day job to do. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, so especially if we're talking downtown Toronto, it's probably busiest during the week. Yeah. And then weekend is probably a much quieter by comparison. It seemed like it. And then again, we would we would there would be days where Uber Eats would outpace the in-store sales. Okay. So yeah, there was a popular Uber Eats location. Ritual was super popular there too. Yeah. A lot of people like to come in, pick up and run, you know. So yeah. there was a lot of that. Did Uber Eats give you dread? Mm, no. Well, only when the Uber Eats order was like four smoothies. Yeah. Because I'm like, these these poor bicycle delivery guys are screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there's no, like, our trays were whatever. They're your standard paper tray, and we try and tape shit down, but, like, it would be flying all over the place. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't good. So, yeah, yeah. We, we were setting them, not us, but, you know, I think they were set up for failure and a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I, I did Uber Eats for a little while, too. Oh, okay. Before I was working in the restaurant, I was, like, doing the bike Uber Eats thing. Oh, okay. Um, again, trying to fill in my hours, get some exercise, and this was where, okay, Uber Eats doesn't seem super consistent because you can make like 20 bucks an hour doing uber eats during the right periods of time yeah but then there would be days i log in and i'm online for 45 minutes and i don't have a single order so i'm like yeah there's no discount whatever you know yeah um i i've just heard from a few people who work in various establishments all over the gta and uh uber eats has been awesome for like an income for a lot of places Um, but it has been a challenge of how you integrate it well. Yeah. Because there's it, it plays outside of the rush in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, like, there's sort of you have your lunch rush. Yeah. But then you have this other factor of the Uber Eats yeah. or whatever delivery service kind of just plummeting in and being like, no thing, with yeah. no real warning. Whereas in a lot of places, you have to have physically have people showing yeah. up in front of you. One of our craziest stories was an Uber Eats order. And I don't think that they do a good job of training how to use their stupid tablet, right? That was a big problem. Yeah. So the tablet rings. I was like, oh, this is a huge order. It's like eight bowls or, or 16 bowls or something gigantic. I and mean, there's only four of us. So we all get cra- cracking on that bowl, on those bowls. We smash it out in like 10, 15 minutes, whatever the amount of time was. It, we were all scrambling to get it done. We finish it up. We get it all packed up. We look at the order and we're waiting to see the, the acknowledgement of like who's on the way. And we're looking at it and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Why is this not working? And then... I don't know, someone clicked on it or looked at it, and it's like tomorrow morning, 9 p.m. Oh. Or tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., or 11.30, something like that. Like, we just built out probably $100 worth of food Yeah. for an order that comes in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to you know, the, yeah, interesting. That is so frustrating. So, you know, th- th- those kind of things is like, you know, you – if you don't know what to look for, if you don't haven't gotten any training on, it wasn't abundantly apparent in the app, and that may have been whoever was just receiving the order was looking at it and didn't actually know what to look for to say when is this going to be due by. You know, yeah. I don't think I'd, I'd seen any post dated orders in the app at that point, so hmm. we ended up building out all these bowls for nothing. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's you know it's funny that's actually not uncommon um, in the industry. Um, there are so many times where I have uh, personally or seen other people with like the POS systems you're using right, right. and you mess something up when you're ordering it in when it's really busy or you know whatever it is and um, yeah it's it's that's not uncommon to end up looking at something a little wrong or doing yeah. it because because of the nature of the speed of the industry yeah right it's not like you could sit like you don't always get the luxury to like be like okay, everybody stop, we're going to read this, understand it, and then start. It's, yeah. you know, you're just trying to, you know, interpret, make it work, and then, you right. know, get out the door. I remember once we had a, an item which had, like, the key ingredient in the name of the item, 
it was like let's call it like an apple cob or something like that or i don't remember what it was called but um anyway we, we we put it out we send it out and then we get a call 15 minutes later it's like there's no apple my apple cob what the fuck <laughs> you know it's like that kind of stuff and, and that's exactly it it's like you get busy you, you don't have the customer in front of you you don't have the order in front of you because there's no printout right it's like they're on one side of the restaurant the prep station's on the other you know you got to kind of call it out you got to you got to work through it and it's like, yeah you know, come on man you know this is brutal yeah. so um you know we were on doordash we were on skip we were on ritual we were on uber eats we were on there was like seven different tablets or something like that in the front and we did have a dedicated section for the pickup so having them come in wasn't that bad they were always patient we just offered them water they were cool you know yeah it's like wash them on the other side you know, make sure that they're comfortable and yeah I, I never had any issues with the uber eats folks to be honest with you. okay yeah. cool yeah i just i think it's i think it just depends on the type of establishment you're running because yeah. i think a lot of uh like more sit down dining places hopped on the platform right and then it turned into this problem of like but we have guests coming in, but then we have the DoorDash or Uber Eats or whoever coming in at the same time. It caused a lot of chaos. I think, yeah. I think a lot of places have probably managed that and figured out how to make that work for them. Probably. Um, but I remember hearing rumblings of it when it first came in that it was just this a new type of problem to have right. to deal with that wasn't ever maybe managed in the past. I, I agree with that. I, the, when they built up the store, it looked like that was something they were thinking about, and there was space dedicated to them, so there wasn't a lot of friction. They could sit, they could wait. Yeah. You know, we were told off in water, make sure they're comfortable, and that was it. So. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, I'm a kinesiologist. Okay. I talk all about health and performance, mm -hmm. uh, health and safety and such. So I've, uh, there must be a part of that story that uh, connects here when it comes to maintaining your performance, your health, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And did you have any challenges with that? Did you have any, or I'm, no, I'm asking more than one question. It's one of my problems. Yeah. Uh, did you have any successes or challenges when it came to managing that? I would say that I definitely felt a little lopsided, like being right-handed. And obviously you use your right hand a lot for different things, different activities, and you're doing the end-to-end -end prep in some cases. Um, you know, we had this tomato smasher and we would smash through like 300 tomatoes in a day or something like that to make you know salsa and all the other stuff so um that was the thing where it's like this big heavy iron tomato squisher i don't even know what to call the yeah. thing and that was like a lot of lifting so there was a i don't want to call it repetitive injury or anything like that but there was that a bunch of people cut themselves because of anything i was always super careful but i had the mindset of like i'm i'm in no rush you want to fire me, you fire me. I'm not in this position where, you know, I need this role. So I, I always, but I think they appreciated that I was taking my time, doing things right, and, you know, having those conversations with customers. Uh, the other thing I would say, like, health and safety-wise was was the dishes. The sink didn't have, like, a garbage disposal in it. Mm. So we spent a lot of time, a lot of time, you know, fishing out quinoa and rice and other crap that was going down the drain. At one point, someone broke the drain from like plunging it so much I don't know who it was might have been me I don't know but definitely like my right arm felt like <laughs> a little overused um, yeah. going through that and there was no real way to uh, to balance that out yeah that's uh, I, I, I think I can envision this tomato smasher it probably looks um, similar to um, there's a fry maker for potatoes right. that I uh, saw in a previous place and <laughs> it was like mounted on the wall and you put the potato in and then like you pull and it was like a two-handed whole thing to pull the the potato through to turn right, it into right. into fries and, and it's a would, very unnatural motion for those you can't see us but you know our arms yeah. are above our head <laughs> pulling down below our shoulders it's like that's a very awkward motion this was more like a lifting 
with the thing again of kind of above the shoulder point or towards your chest and then down um, and it was it was sort of on rails it looked like a little pyramid with the big mallet on top and then two large rails vertically and so the the masher landed on the ver- on the on the rails and you just put the tomato there mash 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 yeah new tomato mash 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 or onion or whatever or whatever it is yeah um, anytime I was no like anytime you get that like above the shoulder position right. where right. you're starting something is always a red flag yeah. when I'm, you know, kind of looking at potential problems when it comes yeah. to human movement. It's like anytime you get somebody having to raise those shoulders up, you're like, oh, okay, cool. That's something, you know, and there's lots of ways that you can go about for sure remedying that yeah. or at least, uh, um, you know, changing the, the height of the workstation is sometimes possible um, to make that easier or just, you know, training and say, hey, right. Um, you want to keep your shoulders down and yeah. have everybody understand that when they're you yeah, know, when you're was, using this. There was no training on that, and that would have been great. Or even like stand on this stool when you do it, so you know it's closer to your stomach and it's like a more natural kind of motion. Alternate your arms, take your time, do it like this. And there's a little bit of knife skill training because we did have to do a lot of chopping and cutting, um, but other than that, there was no real training for the tools. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is is there is a lot of, I don't want to call it height discrimination, but I don't have another word for it, <laughs> you know, where it's like it's downtown Toronto. Everything is stacked vertically. Like a lot of stuff is put on high shelves because, you know, you can prep croutons for two days from now, three days from now, and it'll sit up there for a while. That's fine. But then it ended up being is like, oh, uh, you know, you, you're the you're the tallest person here. I'm like, I'm not that tall I'm under six feet right but I'm I am the tallest person here so I guess that's my job now is to reach above my head and lift this heavy thing and make sure that this is there so yeah there wasn't a lot of foresight in in, in some of those things but yeah every restaurant is uh, made for tall people right I haven't been in a single one that uh, doesn't use the space they have in a vertical direction I'm five five right so I've had to quite often climb and, you know, lift or stand on something that maybe isn't stable enough or um, to go get something heavy yeah. that we need. Yeah. Um, so there was there was a bit of corner cutting in that regard, I think. And then, you know, same thing when there's, like, leaks or water on the floor or other things like that. Like, the, I don't think they ever would have failed as health as safety check. Like, they were pretty diligent about certain things. But only the supervisors got that training, right? Yeah. It was, like, the, the people in the front line didn't get that, so. Yeah, that's something, um, yeah, looking at the levels of um, training and what's required depending on the position is always interesting Mm -hmm. because, and also having your supervisors know the difference of what your employees need to know and what the supervisor needs to know to hopefully prevent things. Because yes, the supervisors are going to see things in a little bit more macro view, mm-hmm. um, but they need to know when your employees are moving in a certain way that that's something you want to get in front of or whatever it may be. Right. And I've seen, um, yeah, it's interesting because I know the the classic health and safety things like spills, uh, slipping on the floor, dealing with uh, sharp objects, making yeah. sure everything's secure, all the obvious things pop up. But one thing that's usually left um, lacking is just talking about human movement a little bit and saying, hey, uh, you know, people should be lifting like this. There's lots of courses on it and everybody knows to lift in a certain way. Um, Even though I find that a little lacking in how we teach it, it's more than just lifting with the legs. Yeah. Um, I don't think the washing, like the the dishwashing area was designed with any ergonomics in mind either. Like thinking about it now, and I don't think I thought about it then. There was like a tray system, right? So you put the dirty dishes on one tray, you'd shift it into the dishwasher, you bring the dishwasher down, and then um, you'd kind of have to rotate. There's a lot of rotating in this tiny space, right? There wasn't really room to kind of pull it out, back it up, and then, you know, 
move it around the way you would normally. So you ended up doing a lot of twisting with your torso and your upper back. The, the weight load wasn't too bad. And, you know, I'm a bigger guy, so it's uh, it's not that much different than the normal weight I'm moving around, I guess. But I could definitely see if you're a smaller person or, you know, um, if you do have issues lifting weights or anything like that, that that might have been uh, a frustration for people. Yeah, dish bits are... Uh Dish bits are interesting uh, by their design. Sometimes they can be really great, and sometimes they're not as great, um, <laughs> depending on the space that you have. Yeah. Um, working contextually in the space, and sometimes you can't do anything about the space. Mm-hmm. Um, I like. I literally just did a talk with Restaurants Canada uh, a few weeks ago, okay. where I talked about health and safety right. in restaurants and kind of how you can go about diagnosing problems. And I always say like the most powerful thing we can do is to remove the stressor so right. if we can edit the workspace fantastic yeah might not be possible right um so then where do we go with that where do we start talking about the movement patterns? we start talking about the policies and the programming to then deal with that side of the problem it's yeah. more human related because you know we have to get buy-in from our employees we have to make sure they're trained correctly all that sort of stuff yeah. but um yeah it's 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 always part of the process I think the other thing that people, at least in this restaurant, people weren't super open to was was doing some stuff that just felt like common sense. Like the garbage cans would get filled all the way to the top before they were full and ready to go out. But when you put, you know, an 80 liter garbage bag, I don't know, maybe I'm I'm exaggerating here, but it went up to about my hip, my waist, and you fill that full of rice and quinoa and water and whatever else, that's a heavy garbage bag when it's done. Yep. Right, And so it wasn't a matter of like, okay, empty it when it's halfway full. It would be 60, 70, 80% at the end of the day full of whatever junk ends up in there, you know, just general outputs from a restaurant, right? Um, food waste, et cetera. And then it's so heavy that who's the only person on the shift who can deal with it? Right? Yeah. Oh, it's the thick guy over there who, you know, can lug around that kind of weight and do that. So, you know, again, I, I, I haven't thought about it this way. You're bringing this to my mind. Maybe there was a degree of like, ableism discrimination there i don't know Mm. what the right word is for that but i ended up doing a lot of that stuff too so you know yeah interesting um that's interesting i never i hadn't really thought of that on that side of things honestly the the um i don't know if i want to call it ableist per se i don't Uh, that's fine uh i I don't want to use like uh i don't want to use like get get people on twitter yeah uh, coming at me for using that term but i do think there is something there when it comes to lifting heavy things moving things in a certain kind of way um and just how physically demanding the job is that um you know, knowing how much weight you actually might have to lift. And sometimes they don't look at that, you know, and they give a really great estimate. So they might say, oh, you have to lift only 40 pounds. But in actuality, they didn't think about that garbage can that's full of food waste that's going to weigh 80 pounds. And yeah, maybe you only have to lift it once per shift. But if you've been working all day, you've been lifting things, it's the end of the shift, your, your structures are tired, that's an opportunity to, you know, have an injury on your hands. For sure. And then, again, it also goes back to who's the only person at that point who can lift it. Right? Yeah. And there's only one person in the shift who can do it, so there's only one person doing that job. Like, there's an element of that. And I don't think people were super receptive to super some, some simple ideas of, like, only fill this halfway, right? Yeah. You know, for me, uh, I guess where I was, you know, people... I was always hesitant to give 
recommendations or anything like that because that wasn't what I was there for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want any of the supervisors to feel like I was stepping on their toes. You know, again, being that person, being ten years older than other people around me, I just tried to remain humble and quiet and get through it, right? And then you know, just do those things. But there was times that I raised some concerns, and, and sometimes they were acknowledged and sometimes they weren't. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it, and it's tough as well if you have. Um, people who have always been in the industry and this is just the way we do it mm-hmm. um, I've run into that a bunch mm-hmm. um, over the years where you know um, I just think like this is a really hard like I work service side but like this like things just fall apart consistently right here right can we figure out how to like get this to work better yeah and sometimes it just wouldn't uh, it would land on deaf ears because yeah. uh, which would be frustrating because I would just see it as so obvious to be well, we're all getting stressed out and, like, you know, everything's on fire, per se, and we're running around like mad, but no one uh, seems to want to fix this problem. We're just all saying, yeah, it is how it is. It's not, a, it's not a showstopper, so let's keep going and we'll keep slogging through it, that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, one of the things that I do as a kinesiologist and occupational health is like job demands analysis where I go in and I analyze like all the parts of the job, the physical mm-hmm. parts of the job, and then give recommendations and those sorts of things with it. And I've, uh, it's interesting because in other industries, they're just standard. Yep. Um, and you know, I've, uh, been going around to various, you know, business owners. I've done some talks, uh, and I always, it's funny when people's eyes widen. When I bring it up as a thing, I'm like, yeah, we just get a job demands analysis done. We get a breakdown of every physical part of the job um, by me just observing the job for a few hours or maybe a whole day or whatever's needed. And then, you know, you get this report and you get all these edits and then you also get the other side of it. So you can protect yourself from problems, too, because let's say an employee wanted to um, got hurt and wanted to sue you for it. And their story didn't line up with the JDA. JDA is a way to say we've done our due diligence here. Right. Or you have someone coming back to work, and the insurance company is going to request that JDA. Yeah, we've done that in in the bank and the banking industry is very stringent on those things. Like, you know, if you have to lift anything, you can literally call a department, and they have guys who they'll send to come move a chair or do whatever. Right? Yeah. Now we're not talking about a chair on wheels, but like other furniture that's more static, right? So you know, definitely going to that restaurant environment where it's like, yeah, no, we we have to do everything, we have to do all this stuff, and like, there's no. No, not a lot of forethought on those things. It was was a bit of a, a surprise for me to, to see, you know, how some things are handled or, or not necessarily thought through. And then, like I said, you'd end up with a garbage can with 100, 100 pounds worth of food and no one, yeah. no one to deal with. Um, I can't wait till we get to our funny story section in a few minutes because I have a really great story okay. about a garbage right. can Perfect. full of food. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to get there. But so that being said for health and safety, what was your favorite part of your work day? Um, it would alternate. Uh, I would say my favorite part would be between the dishes and the customer interactions. So I didn't mind doing the dishes. I'd throw on a podcast and you know blast through an hour of dishes, and then I ended up doing more dishes than I wanted to for sure. But um, you know it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was actually kind of cathartic and, and relaxing, and you know you get an opportunity to just zone out and clean the dishes and you know go through that. Um, and uh, and then on the flip side, you had the customer interactions, which was which was always great. It was good to build those relationships with customers. The people that were going in there were generally appreciative. No one, 
know, you're not dealing with the kind of clientele that, say, a McDonald's worker is going to have to go through. That's like, oh, give me my, give me my McDouble, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. The stressors that they, that they feel on that side, right, where you're, you're not being treated well. I think that uh, the the clientele that this restaurant type brought in were generally appreciative. They were usually, you know, decent tippers. That sort of thing. We had a, a shared chip, a shared tip, um, model, and. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it was nice to build our relationships and get to know what people wanted, how they wanted it, and, you know, accommodate folks. So get to get back to the customer service that I was missing yeah. at the time. Yeah, that's one of the magical things that working, like, the service side of a lot of food service businesses is that for some people you're, like, the only person they connect with in a day. Yeah. Um, and if you're that person in the morning or if you can learn their coffee yeah. order and – um, or whatever it is, right. and being able to connect with them on that and get used to seeing them and uh, having those conversations, that can be really important for someone. For sure. Um, and it's one of those magical things that I think people forget mm. um, or how vital of a role uh, food service businesses play in like sort of the inner workings of society. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because that's where we connect with people. I think it's undervalued in a lot of ways, right? It's just, you know, you end up going to that subway and you have that interaction with that person, you know, and that, that, that creates a specific dynamic, right? If, if it's Subway or Starbucks or whatever, and you start to see that depending on the chain that you go to, right? The Starbucks person's a little bit more engaged, they're a little bit more focused because I think, you know, for the most part, they're just making coffee. If you have to make the sandwich and clean up and do this and do till, like it's much more demanding, right? So, you know, we were in an environment where we, they did an okay job of making sure people had variety in their work and did different things and wasn't always stuck on the same task unless they wanted to be, you know, so um, you could give 100% when you're doing the customer service stuff and you could do a, give 100% when you're doing the dishes and you could give 100% when you're doing the food prep and yeah. you know, not be too drained because you've been doing four, six, eight hours of the same activity. That's interesting and that actually sparks my interest. So did you think burnout was way less there because of that? Um, I don't know that anyone expressed concerns about burnout, right? Interesting. Like, I think that uh, most of the people there were students. Most of the people there were part-timers. Um, you know, again, the shift managers were maybe a little bit more stressed out, and that's probably more so because of, like, sales results more than yeah. anything else. So I think that they had a really good focus on that balance piece. The only problem, I would say the only place where they, they fell short was maybe anticipating how long it would take to close. Yeah. I think they usually underestimated that or we ended up being there an extra 15, 20 minutes that we needed to. I had hard stops, right? And I told my the store manager, I was like, you can schedule me to the end of the day, that's fine, but I need to go home at 10 o'clock so I can wind down for an hour so I can go to bed so I can go to my day job. Yeah. I end up working a 16-hour day, you know, in some cases, end to end. Um, you know, so I was pretty firm about that, and, and I was in a position where I could walk away if I needed to. So I, I, I set the right expectations when I started, and, and I was good about that. So I didn't see it. I didn't see people experiencing that. No one was like, I'm so excited to be here at work. Oh, at the for same sure. time, I it's would work. Say. It is work, for sure. Um, but, you know, uh, people were... I didn't, I didn't get that sense. I didn't get that sense that people were like, oh, God, unless they were working three jobs or something like that. Yeah, like that sort of yeah, yeah burnt out in that way. Because um, I know retention is a huge problem across yeah. the industry. It's really hard to keep people. And we, did, we did have retention issues too. I would yeah. Say, for sure. Um, but I do, I've seen a lot of places where you just do one thing for eight hours, which sets you up for repetitive strain injuries, X, what, XYZ. For sure. Um, but 
that task rotation can be a really powerful tool to manage all that uh, relatively effectively. Yeah, I think people generally like that um, and were appreciative to get that opportunity to not do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. There was days where you ended up spending more time on dishes than you wanted to and some of the supervisors weren't doing their fair share on certain activities. Um, you know, but overall I think it was, it was, it was reasonably well balanced. Okay. Cool. That, that's that task rotation. You just got me so excited about that because I just—it's so <laughs> rare um, for um, food service business to ever look at that as an really? option. Really? Okay. Um, and I think for a lot of restaurants, yeah. um, higher end places, there's a hierarchy. Right. Um, so there's uh, like head chef, sous chef, right. guard manger, dishwasher, whatever it is, and you have the bartenders, the servers, the host, and everything's very yeah. um, segregated deservedly so because you want certain people being able to do certain kinds of tasks but at the same time um, being able to add a little bit of that variety might actually be a really powerful way to um, you know keep people around longer keep people yeah. more engaged in their work so they're not getting so bored with it um, I feel like I hear some head chefs like why throw a knife at me right now by saying this <laughs> but uh, but it could be a really powerful tool in that way yeah. um, Funnily enough, there was a time I, one of my serving friends brought this up that she said at a restaurant she previously worked at where the front and heart of house had to like switch roles. Yeah. And it was part of your process that you actually had to like spend some time working in the back, some time working in the front yeah. so you could uh, appreciate, appreciate yeah. the difference. And I was, I'm, that's always, I could only imagine the shit show that is, but uh, it's interesting to me. Yeah. You know? I would say if I spent eight hours or six hours or even five hours just doing dishes, for sure that place would have driven me a little crazy. Yeah. I didn't have proper gloves or anything like that. So, you know, there was an element. I even remember talking to the store manager. I'm like, am I just like privileged white office hands? Is that what this is? Like, you know, the, that these haven't been worked enough? Like, I've done construction jobs, but, you know, my fingers are all, you know, dehydrated and stuff like that. And and uh, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, it was the middle of winter back then. But, yes. Um, you know, and he's like, well, there might be an element of that. <laughs> he's, he's very polite about it. I would give that a solid yes and no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, there was some learnings from my perspective, and, and it was good to get physical. It was good to have that element. It wasn't the exercise I was expecting it to be. I thought that I would be, you know, burning more calories and doing more more of that, but it ended up being a lot of standing and, you know, walking around and stuff. But Yeah. You know. Cool. Um, so you're not in the food service world at this moment in time. Would you ever see yourself going back to it? Maybe if I own my own restaurant. Yeah. You know, like the kind of restaurant that gets really good at like one or two things that I could be really passionate about. Um, you know, there's a there's a few really amazing restaurants that, you know, do have like four or five things on their menu, something along those lines. Mm. You know, like, yeah. uh, I don't know if, I, if you want me to do any shout outs here or anything, but like definitely being in Toronto, there's some, some As long as it's love. nice, you can do whatever shout outs sure, you want. yeah, like, like place like, uh, you know, PG Clucks, okay, Fry, yeah. uh, places that like have, you know, a handful of items on their menu. Uh, there's Bitondo's that just does like pizza. There's like one kind of pizza. There's one kind of Panzerati. There's like a couple kinds of soup. That's really it, you know. And like maybe something like that because I think that the industry, there is a, a lot to it. There's a lot to uh, to if you can create a product that you're proud of and that you can sell it at a price point that's reasonable, you do a lot of service for the neighborhood. Yeah, that was one of the things that drew me to this location is that the area that I live in was really missing this kind of restaurant, a kind of like healthier option, vegan options, vegetarian options. Um, you know, I, I I'm not I'm not 
hardline vegan or anything like that but i do think that as a, as a species we need to eat less meat you know and uh i appreciate those kind of messages and those kind of those kind of goals you're the third person on this podcast to bring that up am i uh yeah okay. you are so that's uh, i'm happy that's a trend that uh, we're just all starting want, to talk about i just want the restaurant to have the option you know if i walk into a restaurant um that has zero vegetarian or vegan options i will very rarely give them my business unless it's like a specialty place like i went to a ramen location like they only do pork broth so there's there's no vegetarian options on the menu so i I can probably make a a mental exception for that but um you know just based on tradition or whatever other than that like you need to have some options on the menu i think for for vegetarians and vegans and promoting that yeah and it just makes things uh taste good i don't know i i eat vegetarian most of the time right um i do eat meat but i mostly eat vegetarian a little flexitarian Um, yeah, flexitarian, as I feel like it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a trend uh, that I think, you know, we're all going to have to face and get used to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you want this personal note, and you can cut this out later if you think it's wrong, but I think that one of the great shames of our history will eventually be the way we treated animals, not just during this time frame, but, you know, in the past in general. Uh, I think about, like, Star Trek and, like, the Vulcans, and I know that sounds silly, but, you know, they're vegetarian for a reason, right? Yeah. It's like that is probably our future, right? The way that we have, as a species, treated other species is probably going to come up. And I also love chicken wings, and that's a problem that I face on a regular basis. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I think I'll keep that in. I think yeah. that's interesting. I think that, But I think that's also a part of the inner workings of... You know, if we're going to talk about health and safety and performance for restaurants, we also have to talk about the other side of yeah, it. Yeah. You know. Because um, I think that also all these things intertwine. They're not, they don't function in a vacuum. No, they don't. And then there's the flip side of, like, what's accessible from a cost perspective, from, an, you know, just a, a real-world perspective. You know, here I'm in a neighborhood where, you know, things are expensive, and then this is an expensive meal on top of that, and people are going to come back on a daily basis and drop $20 on dinner. Like, that's a lot, you know. Yeah. It's not easy to, to make that sell. You have to be providing something that's above and beyond, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to leave that at that. We're going to take a little break, and then sure. we're going to come back and talk about some crazy restaurant stories okay. and the one that I've already alluded to. Okay, so we'll pause right there. Hey, listeners. Just want to take a second before we get to the last segment of this episode to remind you about Balanced Life, the business that I run to bring occupational health services to various food service businesses. Now, I know it's the holiday season, and I know we're in the busiest time of year. But I also know in the next couple of months, there's going to be a lot of team holiday parties that actually happen in January or February for most food service businesses, um, because it's finally a little bit slower. So if you want to book me to come in and do a little wellness chat, a little occupational health chat with your team, let me know. You can bring me in for your staff meetings. You can bring me in for your staff parties. Maybe I teach the team something before they get to the real party for the night. And we can do all sorts of different topics, all sorts of different segments, looking at how we eat to start our restaurant workday, stretching and strength training for restaurant employees. Or we can also look at the other side of it, like stress management, sleep management, all sorts of things I can come in and chat with you about. So go to Balance Life Services if you want to send me an email and connect with me for one of my wonderful seminars. Anyway, 
let's get back to our crazy restaurant stories. So we are back to the segment I have yet to name, which is crazy restaurant stories because we all have them. And I will start because I've already alluded to it in our first segment about the garbage can full of gross, disgusting food and water and all sorts of stuff. And we all know that you want to take the garbage can with you and not just take the bag out because the bag may break open wherever you are. (laughs) Take the garbage can with you until you get to the dumpster and generally lift the garbage can all at once and dump the bag in. Um, I was taught that. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. Hey, listeners, uh, we just had the guest take a phone call at this little bit of the segment, so it's going to be a little bit of an awkward edit for this one second, and we will get back to it right now. <laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. I love spam calls. I'm getting so many of them lately. But yeah, back to it. So this new dishwasher we had at this place was carrying, uh, was supposed to take it out, and I guess nobody trained him correctly. And he took it out, and instead of dumping the garbage can into the garbage, um, he just took the bag out, and he, like, went to swing the bag over his head and have it land in the garbage. Um, Unfortunately, the bag broke open Mm mid-swing, and the whole thing landed on him. (laughs) Uh, And he was just, like, covered in, like, disgusting half-eaten food and water. <laughs> and there was, like, maple syrup on the menu, so it was really sticky Oh god! on top of that. Uh, I think they sent him home for the day, but that was definitely the funniest uh, garbage can story I can think of off the top of my head when it comes to gross and disgusting. That's awesome. Any uh, stories hop out at you? Um, besides the Uber Eats one, I think uh, one that I thought was pretty funny was um, uh, when we started, the restaurant opened in the wintertime. So... Um, everything was new, everything people didn't understand, you know, all the processes and the procedures and stuff. There was one day where we were in the, in the process of closing for the day, and uh, we didn't really understand the layout of the building because, you know, you take the back entrance that goes to the garbage, which, uh, you know, doesn't really have the right, what's the word I'm looking for here, infrastructure, let's say. So this is kind of in the base of a much larger building that obviously is multi-purpose and does other things because it's downtown Toronto and they're all like that. So I and uh, my shift manager go to take the garbage out, go to throw something else out, probably a result of an 80-pound garbage bag. And uh, we, we both leave and we come back and we find that we're locked out. And, we try, and there's no handle on the door to get back in. Like, I don't know what who designed this or what it is. So we're, we're trying to find our way to get around to the other side. So we're, we're trapped between our restaurant. We had another restaurant beside us. They were also locked because um, they're close to the day already. We end up going deeper into the <coughs> this back room, going through, trying to find the, the exit. And we get to the emergency exit, which is our only option at this point because we're literally <laughs> trapped in this place. There's a big sign on it that says, uh, you know, alarm will sound if you use this door. I'm like, well... We're trapped here. I don't know what else to do. Um, I was like, well, we're not going to call 911 when 
we thing so we we like cross our, our fingers and clench our butts and <laughs> go through <laughs> and we're, we were trying banging on the door before we left and nothing the, the person there was one person left in the restaurant and they they hadn't heard us so we go through we end up getting to the back door we push through the door and we start running because we're like oh this alarm's gonna go off nothing happened yeah yeah so the, i don't know why the sign said that the alarm would sound maybe just to scare people out of using that door or trying to do that but anyway we walk around and of course the front door is locked too <laughs> so we're standing there in t-shirts and our aprons and our hats freezing our butts off banging on the front door hoping for this person to uh to recognize and i think we were outside for about five minutes before they, they finished doing their dishes or whatever they were working on um and finally noticed that we weren't there anymore that's uh yeah definitely <laughs> locked outside weren't I? I always wonder how useful it would be to know how to pick locks yeah because it's just one of those it's like why the i just need to know this skill every once in a while when you desperately need it yeah not for anything criminal just having the when you're locked out in the winter time because that's for sure it's a problem again yeah it gets it cold happens it was cold it was bad and then we were locked out of the fire exit on the other side obviously so there was no going back um, <laughs> now I was I was like five minutes from not even five minutes I was like a two-minute walk from home but my keys were locked in the restaurant so yeah I was still stuck either way Didn't you're just matter. screwed on every yeah, front exactly nice so. uh, oh I love I yeah I love those kind of stories where you're locked out and yeah not able to have I ever been I don't think I've been locked out of a restaurant so far I think yeah um, not that I can recall, but I do know, um, like, I worked in a place that was, like, kind of cavernous, so you'd have to, like, go in through the basement and everything, <laughs> and um, there were a couple of days where um, the correct door wasn't uh, wasn't open like it was right. supposed to be, someone right. didn't leave it open for me, so I'd have to, like, finagle really interesting ways to break into the restaurant, <laughs> um, or at least get the attention of people in the restaurant, yeah. and so that I could <laughs> actually, yeah, please let me in, please. <laughs> actually, funny story with that, this is something on my list that I will get into right now. Uh, this didn't happen to me, mm-hmm. but I worked at a place where um, they always told us at the end of the night, they're like, turn off those, uh, the uh, handicapped um, buttons. Mm-hmm. You have to turn off the switch for them right, okay. because the door will still open, even if you've locked it. Oh, okay. And a friend of mine came in to like open that day at like eight in the morning to open a cafe, and she came upstairs, and the person last the night before hadn't actually turned off those buttons, so she came in, and there was just a guy in a wheelchair just wheeling around the restaurant. Um, and it was she totally got caught off on guard by it. And it was and it was because you were able to hit those buttons, right. and because everyone else would have been locked out. And it was just it was one of those like it's so absurd. It is completely absurd. Uh, so we were all talking about that for a week, just being. That's you know, too. Funny. I was I was like I don't even know what I would do. Like I you just go upstairs and there's someone wheeling around the restaurant. <laughs> uh, you know, it, yeah, it's very I don't know. It's, yeah, it's definitely theoretically absurd. Right. You know, that's right. something that you'd see in some bizarre movie. It's it's funny. You, you think about that and I've worked in like risk management in my day job and stuff like that and it's like there's some major gaps in our risk management <laughs> protocols here like not having a handle on the back door that was one yeah. that was just a no brainer for you me. wouldn't think of it until you're in that situation yeah, yeah. yeah I have a I have a friend who's going to school for disaster management <laughs> okay. and like some of her stories oh yeah of just you know this is we didn't know it would be a thing until right. it happened right. now we now now there's a rule about now that there's a rule 
now there's a protocol, now there's a playbook, whatever. Yeah, for sure. exactly. Well, I think I'll leave that at that for today. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, till next time. Okay. Maybe you'll come on again. We'll talk more details about yeah. this kind of stuff. We're getting I, very specific. I look forward to it. I think that um, you know one thing I really took away uh, from working in this industry is that you know you guys are working a lot harder than a lot of other people. <laughs> And, you know, where, where, where you want to appreciate, you know, your own skill sets is, is if you're going to be a hard worker, if you're able to do hard work, you can get pretty far ahead in life in general. And, you know, where is it that this is going to, you know, fire you up and make sure that your, your, your metal is strong when it comes time to, to take on other roles or other jobs or other industries, you're going to be, you know, the hardest working person on the team and that's going to help you get ahead for sure. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know that people always appreciate that, that skill, that, that value, that skill set that they've developed, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. Something, uh, yeah, I've noticed that myself. Um, I work as a kinesiologist in clinics mm-hmm. and in offices and all sorts of places. And when I'm at the clinic, sometimes they're, uh, I find it's just slow motion mm-hmm. compared to what I used to do. Oh, yeah. And they're like, you're just so managed and able to, and I'm like, because it's so slow. It's easy for me. And they're it's all running around like, ah, things are happening. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I guess so. But it's it's nothing compared to what you do. <laughs> you know, uh, eight hours on a restaurant floor when it's uh, the World Cup or something. Yeah. And, you know, you got 400 people to deal with and there's two of you or three of you and you're going to make that work. For sure. Um, Yeah, well, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, and uh, until next time. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is b underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them, and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better workday. And remember, if you want to be a guest on this podcast, send me an email. I'd love to chat with you. See ya!